Well, thank you very much. You know what, before you get seated, before, would you please stand again before you're seated? I'd like to just lead us in a word of prayer. And I think it's really important because I'm going to ask you to really engage yourself in this prayer. We're going to just take about a minute. There's no clock up here. I could go forever. This is wonderful. Thank you, Pat. That's a new addition. I like it. Um, but I really want to say, seriously, uh, we need to pray for our nation. All right? And this isn't a political thing at all. This is the fact that we have a nation that's just torn apart and the ugliness is just coming out. And, I, and in some ways, it may be that God wants the ugliness to come out because it might drive people to their knees and say, enough with this. We just need to say, when you look at the events of Charlottesville and all that stuff, that kind of hatred is just, there's no place in the kingdom of God. And we have seen what that kind of hatred has done back in Germany years ago. And there is no place. When Jesus walked in this earth, he basically said, love your enemies. And we're called as people. And so we as people in the church need to speak out. We need to be able to say, you know what? This is not a political thing, but what we need to know is that we need to say, we are about people who call people to love. And we need to live that out in a way that is not judgmental. Because we, we don't have a corner in any way on some kind of morality. We really don't. You look at your heart, you look at my own heart, and I know that I need God desperately. I'm broken. I'm a sinner. I mean, the seeds of the sinner in my life, even though they've never come this fruit, in some ways I'm grateful, but there have been other ways it has, and I think we all know that. So I'm going to ask you to pray. Would you pray? And I will just lead with a few words, but I'm going to ask you to pray. Whatever's on your heart before God, because I think, you know, this is amazing thing about God. He can hear your prayers, and he answers those prayers. So, Father, we humble our hearts and we come before you because you tell us that we are to come before you. One of the most important things that we can do is to pray. So we pray for our nation in this world. Father, we do pray. As that verse said that we prayed just a a little bit ago. God, love comes from our heart when we act justly and we love mercy. And we walk humbly before you and others. We, God, want to do that. And we want a community around us that wants to do that. We want a state and a nation that does that. We want a world that does that. Pour out your Holy Spirit. Bring us all to a place on our knees where we're not defending ourselves, but we're crying out to you. Because you are the only answer to this. And we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, well, I look at you guys in shorts, and I'm going, man, I'm just hot. So, um, so I'm going to kind of get a little, a little less hot. Um, okay. You know, this summer is really interesting. I've kind of not uh, 
been meeting as often with guys in, in, in some of these groups that I meet usually on Monday, Tuesday mornings, but uh, I, we've done it like once a month, and we got together early in the summer, and one of the guys in one of those groups said that uh, he really liked this book, and he challenged us to read this book, Essentialism, and I believe it was actually published back in 2014. And, and essentialism is, is, is an in-depth look at what happens when we put more energy into one thing instead of everything in our work, in our life, and the things that we're involved in. And uh, Greg McCowan, in his book, Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less, so we were challenged to read that, and we came back about a month later and talked a little bit about it. The basic value proposition of essentialism is this. Only after you give yourself permission to stop trying to do it all, to stop saying yes to everyone, can you make your highest contributions towards the things that really matter. What I find is interesting is Jesus was into essentialism long before this author. Because one day as he was in a person's house and people were busy He saw this person who desperately needed permission to stop. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 41 said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. But only one thing is needed. The one thing that's essential. I think what he was saying was not getting all the dishes clean and all the different things that she was about busy doing but was to pay attention to your spiritual life. Take care of it. And and so what I want us to do at this point is we start heading towards the fall, really three weeks away from what I would call a mad rush, is just to stop and to pause. And in in this series, we're going to look at three things that that we would hope to be somewhat essential around caring for your spiritual life. Because many of us, as you think about it, are going to rush headlong into some of the busiest months of the year, and it all culminates with the flurry and activity and events around Christmas, right? Cry, babies, cry. Um, And so when we get to Christmas, it's just like, and so many people are just exhausted. And so I want us to stop and to hear these words of Martha and put your own name in there for a second. So just stop and and, and instead of Martha, Martha, you're so worried upset. Kevin, Kevin. Jennifer, Jennifer. Ben, Ben. Or Sarah, Sarah. Whatever your name is. Mike, Mike, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Pay attention to your spiritual life. And Jesus gives you permission to do that and wants you to actually focus on that because it's not because he wants you to get some brownie points with God. He just deeply, deeply loves you. He so wants you to have an experience with this God in such a way that as you pay attention to your spirit, and he's not trying to compartmentalize things like you have your physical life and your sports life, social life, work life, all these things. He's not trying to compartmentalize it. He's saying undergirding all that, integrated together with all that, is your spirit. And when your spirit is is paying attention to the God of the universe and you're listening and you're walking in relationship with him, he will give you discernment. He's not saying don't do these other things, but he will give you discernment to know what are the one, two, three, four, what are the things that you should be doing. Because he wired you, he put you together, he knows. He loves you deeply. What I find is interesting is earlier that week, in, in this story in Luke in chapter 10, 
There is the story of the Good Samaritan, but before he tells that story, a guy comes to him. He's, he's a lawyer, this expert in the law, and he says to Jesus, Jesus, kind of what, what, what's the most essential thing to do? And, and Jesus tells this biblical lawyer, again, this value proposition of spiritual essentialism. He says, here's, here's what you want to do. There's lots of laws in the Old Testament, but what I want you to do is do this. Love God and love others. Pretty simple. Spiritual essentialism. What does it mean to love God and love others? What does that look like in your life? So in this three-week series, I, I hope that we will kind of go through these things and say, um, what, as I look at our intent will be to keep things simple, doable, and focused on what really matters when it comes to that relationship with the church and your spiritual priorities. And so often when I have people who will come into the church and they'll look at all the different things that are going on, because there's a lot of activities, they're going to kind of ask, well, so what should I do? What are the things I should get involved in? Because you could be involved in so many things. There's adult classes, there's small groups, there's mission trips, there's mentoring opportunities, there's women's ministries and opportunities, and men's ministry and opportunities, and all these different things. And so what we want to kind of do is just say to everyone in this congregation, we believe there are three commitments that if we were to come to us, you know, we've said there's three culture in our culture statement. There's three things we say. Everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. We live by that. Well, these three things are what we want to ask you to think and consider to do. Uh, Not to be busy with many things, but maybe these three things. And that is worship, to be in community, and to serve. Use your gifts. And so what I'm going to ask us to do this morning is to think about what that looks like to commit to pause each week and to worship God for you. And then next week we'll be talking about what does it mean to be an authentic community where you're forming friendships that form your faith around God's word and through honesty and and, and through prayer together. And then the third thing is God's wired you in such a way that he's gifted you to actually have impact in other people's lives. How will you use, use those abilities for him? So today I want to talk about worship and how important it is and why we believe this is a really important commitment we're going to ask you to make. And so to begin to talk about worship, I think it's important to recognize what worship really is. Worship, if you look at it, and the way I'm going to define it is these three things. Worship puts a smile on God's face, worship is a 24-7 activity, and worship requires regular practice, okay? I do that for those of you who like to know the roadmap where we're going, Okay. See, worship puts a smile on God's face. I I love how Rick Warren puts it in his purpose-driven life. He says, you were created for God's pleasure. Think about that. You put a smile on God's face. I think of my little um, grandson, Wit, and there's times when I hold him and he'll smile. And and I don't know whether it's because he's getting pleasure from me or he's just having gas. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. But he's just at that age where he's starting to respond and he's socializing and, and our relationship gives pleasure to one another, causes him to, you know, to smile when I make a goofy face, that kind of idea. So what Rick Warren's saying is you were created for God's pleasure and vice versa to actually put a smile on each other's face. That's really what worship is. The moment you were born into the world, God was there as an unseen witness smiling at your birth. He wanted you alive and your birth gave him great pleasure. Now this isn't just Rick's word. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 4, 11, you God created everything. 
And it is for your pleasure, God, that they exist and were created. Isn't that interesting? God created you to bring to him pleasure. That little child that you have is a gift that brings you pleasure. Now, sometimes pain, and we do the same with God, right? Psalm 149 says it this way. The Lord takes pleasure in his people. Literally, he delights in his children. He looks at you and smiles. Your very existence is a form of worship. You don't even have to do anything. Your very existence, just like the trees, bring glory to God, bring him pleasure. And and God didn't need to create you. He chose to create you. And you as parents, you didn't need to create these children. You chose. You kind of waited and said, okay, let's start a family. God did that. He chose to create each and every one of us to start his family. And see, bringing pleasure to God is called worship. That's why we believe it's such an important part of these three commitments. And the Bible says in Psalm 147, 11, the Lord takes pleasure. He actually delights and smiles is, the, is what these words mean. In those who worship him and trust his unfailing love. Isn't that interesting? He takes pleasure in the fact that you came. Now, he's not taking pleasure if you're just going through the road and you're just going to be in here and you kind of go, I have to be here. He takes pleasure to people who come and they say, God, I just want to praise you. I want to worship you. I want to let you know that I'm grateful for my life. So I want you to catch this connection. Anything you do that brings pleasure to God is an act of worship. And he looks at you and he delights and smiles when you seek to live to please him. Now there's an example in the Old Testament that's a real good example that will kind of look at how you can make God smile. And it's a man called Noah. And the story of Noah is a very interesting one because at a certain point, God steps in and the entire world has become morally bankrupt. Everyone is living for their own pleasure. They don't care about making God pleased with their life. They don't care if God smiles on their life. They're all about trying to get their own smile for their own life. And they use people, they manipulate people in order to bring pleasure to their own life. And God looked around. He couldn't find anyone. At one point in Genesis chapter 6, it says the Lord, you know, as a dad, I was grieved and regretted that he had made mankind except for one person. Genesis 6, 8 says, Noah found favor in the eyes of God. Noah made God smile. God, in a sense, said, this guy, really, he brings me pleasure. He makes me smile. I'm going to start over with his family and I'm going to work through him and his children's children. And if you look at the life of Noah, you can see what made him smile. First, as you look at his life, he made God smile because he loved him supremely. God smiles when we love him with our lives supremely, above all other things. Noah loved God more than anything else in the world, even when no one else around him did. Genesis 6, 9 says Noah was a righteous and a blameless among the people of his time and he walked with God. Another translation puts it this way. Noah consistently followed God's will and enjoyed a close relationship with him. So I think it's kind of interesting that the most important thing that God wants from you that is all about worship is a relationship. He just wants to be related to you. 
throughout the day. He wants to, I mean, it's interesting. He says, walk with you. He wants to kind of be in a walking conversation, a dialogue throughout the day. He, he loves you that much that he, that he wants you to love him back. And worship is then just basically loving him supremely. Last week I was talking, when we were out in the park, and, and I was talking about science and physics, and it's just been something that's been interesting to me lately, and one of the things I found is I read some of these atheistic physicists and even some of the evolutionary psychologists and others who are writing these days, that one of the things that is most troubling for them and most challenging for them is when they look at all these constants, constant, cosmological constant, Planck's constant, all, impress? Anyway, um, one of the things they found and they find is that they have a hard time answering that question that the universe is finely tuned for life. So now they have to take another step and they're talking about multiverses. There's just no ground. There's no evidence for that at all. It's all theoretical. But they have a hard time understanding that as they look at all these constants, they look at it and they go, how could it be that just the smallest degree this universe wouldn't be fitted for life? And I think that's an amazing, amazing truth. But can I share with you something that's even more amazing? Not only has he fitted it for life, he fitted it so that you could live with him and be in relationship with him. That's what he longs for. He loves you and he wants you to love him back. That's spiritual essentialism that we've been talking about as we talk in this series. God so loved you that he sent his son Jesus that you might have a relationship with him. And here's what the Father wants. Here's spiritual essentialism. Love him with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and your mind. And love others as much, if not more, than you love yourself. Loving God your Father supremely is worship. But God smiles not only when we love him, but when we trust him completely. Think about this. I I wish I would have been there the day that the conversation around the ark took place when God comes to Noah and says, Noah, you know how is it? You know, I know that when I've had God speak to my heart, it's been more impressions, so I don't know if he heard a voice or what, but can you imagine? Build an ark. Build an ark. Where did that come from? Because it's going to rain. Wait a second. What's rain? Well, it's little drops of water that will come. Well, can you show me some first? Well, no, I want it to be a surprise. But I want you to build this ark. Yeah, but if I build this ark, I mean, I'm going to be a laughing sack, a fool. But I want you to trust me completely. The Bible says that by faith, Noah built a ship in the middle of dry land. He was warned about something he couldn't see and acted on what he was told. And as a result, Noah became intimate with God. And now what you have to think about is his love, which is so supreme for God, which was worship. His trust was so complete to say, okay, God, I I feel like a fool. I'm going to do this. It took Noah, according to the word of God, 120 years to build this thing. Can you imagine in year 20? It's going to take a long time, God. That's okay. He continues to build it. Some of you guys are in a place where you've been loving God with all your heart and you've been trusting God and you've been saying, I've been doing this for a number of years. Some of you for a couple months say, God, that's like me. You know, if it hasn't happened in a week, I'm really upset. I don't know how in the world someone could go 120 years. And trusting God is an act of worship because we're told in the word of God, without faith, this kind of trust, it's impossible to please God. It's, it's impossible to bring a smile to his face. 
The Bible actually says that you and I are here because of someone who trusted so completely. Your trust has incredible impact on others. Did you know that? There are little ones watching you. There are people at work who will watch you. And your trust points to your love towards God. In fact, um, not as God smile because we love him supremely and trust him completely, but you put a smile on God's face when you obey him wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly, you say, okay, God, I don't get it. I don't get this art thing. I don't get what you're calling me to do right now. But okay, if you say so, I will do it. I will obey. Trust always has to be expressed in obedience. Faith without works, without doing the act of the faith is empty. And so you, you get this picture of Noah who not only, ha- he doesn't do it half-heartedly, he doesn't do it partially, he doesn't do it grudgingly, he just says, okay, God, and starts to go about his task. It's really no different than you as a parent with a kid, right? Don't you, don't, don't you love it when you ask a kid to do something, they go, oh, okay, I'm going to do this like this. Or they do a partial job. God smiles, and you put a smile on the face of God, when you obey him wholeheartedly. Do you know that Jesus, before he went and was baptized, he's about 30 years of age. He has an experience when he's 12 years of age. He's meeting with these religious leaders and he's talking to them and they're impressed with how much he knows. And, and it says that he has some sense of his identity, that some sense that he is going to do something great for God, his father. I don't know how much uh, he has an understanding, but obviously he has some. And as he's growing, he has greater understanding. He hears about all the things that God did around his birth. He reads in scripture that there's one coming. He starts to see his place in that. Can you imagine around 24, 25, he's getting that point? And he's going, I am so ready to tackle the world, to get on for what you've created me to do. And at 24, 25, he stuck with the family business because he's the oldest child. And he's building furniture. And I imagine he was pretty good at it. I don't know if he was that good. You know, maybe his brothers are better. We don't, we don't know. But he's building furniture. And finally, at age 30, he comes to this place and his father releases him to do what he's supposed to do. And at one point, as he's there being baptized, humbling himself, identifying with all these broken, sinful people, he identifies with them, although he has never sinned, according to the word of God. He identifies with them, and it says that God can hardly, his father can hardly hold himself within. He almost gushes with pride, with this big smile on his face, and he says, this is my son. This is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Why? Because here's a person who, as he grows up, says, Father, I will do whatever you want me to do. That's my life. It's of worship to you. And God smiles when we praise and thank him continuously. In Genesis, you'll find Noah stopping in the midst of it all. He builds an altar in order to give praise and thanks to God for what God has already done. If you read the Psalms, you'll you'll read the Psalms are all about giving thanks and praise to God. One of my favorites is Psalm 34.1 where he says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. One of the things I find myself doing is when I'm having a hard time falling asleep at night, my mind just in places where I start feeling this sense of um, stress and I feel this... Uh, I, my mind just is, you know, how it, anybody in your mind loop at night? I have found one of the things that has been really helpful for me is to take a scripture like that. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be my lip. 
Father, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to start thanking you. Even though I don't see and I'm afraid of some things that are going to happen, I'm going to start thanking you for the things that you have done. I'm going to start praising you for who you are. You are a loving. You are good. You are a kind God. You've told me that. Your character never changes. I honestly believe when we live with praise and thanks, we don't live like spoiled children. We live acknowledging the fact that this God really loves us. Do you know what it's like when you receive some praise and thanks from someone? Think about it. Anybody get any, any word of thanksgiving from someone this week? A note? A few lucky people. Anyone, any, any wives, your husbands just praise you for how wonderful you look? Okay, I'm really worried. Yeah, we got like a hand or two. Grace, where was your hand? Anyway, um, it brings a smile to your face. I received a card um, a while back that continues to bring a smile to my face. God loves it when you just give him thanks. It, it brings, that's part of your worship. And part of your worship, then, God smiles when you use your abilities. I, I think this is interesting, that after the flood, it's all done. God gave Noah some Really simple instructions. Here's what he tells them. Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. Basically, get on with your life. Do the things I've designed humans to do. Make love to your spouse, have babies, raise families, plant crops, eat, work, play, be humans, enjoy your life, use your abilities to serve me and to serve other people. That is worship. And when you use your abilities in those ways, that brings worship to God. Now, it's probably far more than maybe what you've understood or you've, you've thought about. There's so many other ways I could go into what worship is. But one of the things I want to just kind of clarify here is that worship is a 24-7 commitment to life. I'm going to check my time here. Okay, I got a few minutes. The Apostle Paul spends 14 pages in Romans where he's going through, and he's, he's going through Romans, and he's talking about the goodness of God. He's talking about his faithfulness and his mercy, his grace. He's speaking about his wisdom and knowledge, and he starts to get to the end after some 14 pages, and he talks about his wonder and beauty and the glory of God, and he stops at chapter 12, verse 1, and he says, in light of all this, here's what you should do. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters... In view of God's mercy and all that he's done, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, and listen to this word, pleasing. Offer your bodies as a way of bringing a smile to God's face, which is your spiritual worship. So let me put it a couple ways that might be helpful. And if, in a little bit, we're going to take an offering. Here's what I want you to do in the offering. Instead of putting a few dollars in or whatever you're going to put in, what I want you to imagine, I've said this before to some of you people, but I think this is helpful. What God is saying is I don't want just a little bit of your time. I don't want you to compartmentalize your life. I don't want Sunday morning. I don't want necessarily a few thoughts on Monday. I really want you. So when it goes by, instead of putting some money in, put yourself in the plate. It'll be real hard for ushers to hold it, but just do it anyway. That's what they're asking. It is this 24-7 that God hears my life. On a number of occasions throughout the Bible, when the Bible repeats itself, it means this is really important. It says in a number of places, sacrifice and offering, you didn't desire God, but my ears you've pierced and you've opened. 
In a sense, at a certain point in my life, my, my ears, I didn't, I wasn't really listening, I wasn't paying attention, but at a certain point, the Holy Spirit, through something that has occurred, it could be a message like this, it could be uh, some difficult times in your life, it could be something, it could be just walking and looking at the beauty of God. At some point, God, through His Spirit, pierced your ears and, and began to whisper in your heart, and He says, and I have said in return, here I am, I have come, I will do your will. This is my desire, to please you with my entire life. Because worship is a 24-7 thing. It's God wanting your heart. He wants your ear. He wants your every thought and every desire, your every second of every minute of every hour of every day of all your life. What I like this morning, what you did as a dedication, and when you brought this little one up to the Lord, you were doing this 24-7 kind of worship. What you are doing is you're saying, God, this little being that you've placed in our hearts, that one... When with those little eyes look at me and I just gush and smile and just go, I love this thing, this little baby so much. I give this to you. I recognize this little life is a gift. Have you ever done that with your own life? I'm not talking about what your parents did for you. Have you ever done your own dedication? And said, God, here I am. I've never really thought about this before, but I've never really even given thought to the fact that I could actually cause you to smile by loving you supremely and trusting you completely and obeying you wholeheartedly and, and, and giving you thanks and, and doing that continually and, and then using my abilities, my every day. I mean, my work, my, your work is, is an act of worship to God if it's done in the right heart and spirit. It's a 24-7 thing. And worship requires what I call regular practice. This is what most people think is worship, right? It's a service you go to, you put in a few hours, and, and you're kind of hoping that's kind of what you need to do weekly. This is not really primarily your worship. Your worship is a 24-7 thing where you put a smile on God's face because you live in a way and a desire that you want to please him by loving him. But worship, the reason why we do this is because it requires practice. It needs constant tune-ups. It needs the weekly stopping and pausing and saying, God, am I just trying to write my story and ask you to bless it? Or am I living in such a way where I'm going, what's the story you're writing and how do I fit into this? There's one reason in the Old Testament you think of the Ten Laws. You think of the Ten Laws. I, I think the Ten Laws are really interesting because the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament are really just what I call uh, simple rules. Uh, uh, it's really community for dummies. Because he basically lays these things out and he says, you guys are now, you, know, you left Egypt and you're this little family and you're together and I'm going to give you some rules so that you can really enjoy life together. And you think about them, they're not real tough ones. Like do not steal. Don't murder somebody. Don't take other people's wives. Uh, you, you know, don't lie to each other. Just these kind of, they're just what I call community for dummies. But when you go back to the first part of it, it starts out by saying, here's how we'll help you live this way. He says, if you want to live this way with others and live this way in your life, it starts by saying, God, I'm going to put you first in my life. I'm going to reverence your name. I'm going to begin to live with a sense of awe and who you are. And then it talks about honoring your parents. This is the idea that there's authority and, and honor towards one another. That's one of the greatest gifts we can give to each other. And then it all of a sudden comes to this place where it says, I want you to remember the Sabbath day as being holy. What an interesting thing to stop right in the middle. Because God knows we need regular times where we practice 
the worship in a setting like this that helps us get in tune with what God wants us to do the rest of our life. Six days a week, work hard. But on the seventh, rest. Set it apart. Get retuned. Remember, your life is meant to give pleasure to God. The New Testament says it this way. Let us not give up meeting together is the habit of some. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. There is something essential. If you really want to put a smile on God's face and if you want to do it on a 24-7 basis, there's something about practicing on a weekly basis doing that. There's something essential about pausing weekly, taking time to slow down, reflect, give thanks, sing praises, open your heart to God, to listen to God's word, and to be with God's people who are seeking this God in the same way. And this is not about brownie points. God's not going, oh, look who's in church today. Good. That's not how God's looking at it. It's no different than, than if you, you know, if, if you really want to, um, you want to be a good golfer, maybe you want to be a good uh, basketball player. You, if you're a good golfer, you practice your swing. They have actual practice places, right? Or after uh, a practice, guys will sit at the free throw line and they'll shoot after, you know, again and again. Or a person who wants to be a good piano player, they actually, they'll tell you they go up and down and up and down because they're just trying to get those mental patterns in their mind. There is something about the need to practice so that when you practice, when it calls time to do it, you are now in a place that you can do it. There's something that God knows the way we're wired. We're wired to worship him. But he also knows we need this weekly kind of sense of practice where we stop and we just say, God, I'm not coming here to see if some, you know, that, 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 you know, am I going to be entertained by the music? Am I going to, you know, is the pastor going to maybe be funny a little bit so he's not so long-winded, that kind of stuff? It's more, I come here today to give myself to you again, to, to, to just sing to you thanks no matter what's going on in my life, and I want to open my heart to be able to hear what maybe your voice is trying to call and tell me to do so that I don't just get so busy and I'm doing all kinds of things and I'm losing out on what is most essential and what matters. And so I'm going to ask you to think about this because if, if you've signed up for a health club, how many of you can get in shape by maybe going twice a month? Anybody here? Yeah, I didn't think so. We, we, we obviously know that that kind of practice doesn't really help one soul. But for some reason, God says some kind of weekly stopping and remembering is something important to our soul. So I'm going to ask you, and if you go to another church, think about it this way. For the next four months, September through December, I'm going to ask you to take the three-week worship challenge. And the reason I say that is because guess how often today in all surveys of church-going people, how often they go to church weekly? Monthly. Monthly. Anyone want to guess? Now, you sit in your survey to us. In fact, in our surveys, we're going to be actually sharing this with the um, elder communication meeting in, in October, so we've got a whole bunch of things, but one of the things you have said over the years is that you go three times a month, and we have checked that's not true. You can actually do some actual mathematical numbers, and not individually, so we're not looking at it individually. You know what the national is? 1.8. 
1.8. And all we're saying is, would you, would you take this challenge? Uh, on Tuesday morning, I met with a really good friend of mine, and we met at Belcourt, and I had ordered coffee and an almond croissant, and, and I turned to him, and I said, what do you want? I'm going to pay. And, and he said, just medium coffee. And I thought, oh, man, you don't, you don't want one of these croissants because, you know, they're known for their croissants. And no, no, I'm, I'm on a 60-day challenge. I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, 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 it's a 60-day challenge. I'm doing it with a health club. And, you know, I got a trainer. I lose weight. I decrease body fat. The percentage is going on and on. I'm just thinking, as I'm enjoying my croissant, wow, that's a commitment. You obviously have to give up some really good things, in fact, to do this. I'm asking you to think about when you are around and, and it's a Sunday and you're kind of going, well, yes, you know, I'm asking you to think about your soul. I'm not asking you for brownie points. I'm asking you to think about being spiritually essential and saying, God, I want to, on a regular basis, and three out of four times to do that, maybe 12 times in the next three, four months. And say, I'm going to commit to that. I had a guy in one of my groups, it was so funny, a little bit ago, he said, he said, you know, you know, it's really great, I love the live stream, because now I can just watch it at home, so the other, last Sunday, it was on a Monday morning, last Sunday, my, um, my wife and I watched it on a live stream, and we were in bed, it was really great, and you know, we watched the thing, he said, but it was kind of a bit strange when we were singing together alone. I want you to think about worship, and we're asking you to make three big commitments, and one of the commitments we believe, not because you get brownie points for God, it's not for us, it's for your own soul. I'm asking you to think about what really matters, and what really matters is the way that God has wired you. If you want to love him supremely, and you want to trust him completely, and you want to obey him wholeheartedly, and you actually really want to give praise and thanks to him continually, and you want to use your abilities on a 24-7 basis, I'm asking you to consider this. God, I'm going to make a commitment to exercise my soul on a regular basis because I really do want to please you and I want to love you. I'm going to ask you to bow your head. Father, we pray that God, our lives would would bring a smile to your face. As in this quietness, as you're just contemplating some of the things that have said, I don't know where, it may be the Spirit of God has pierced your ear for the first time and you haven't really thought about like a dedication of your entire life. What does that mean? It doesn't mean you're a missionary, you gotta go over to Africa. It just means saying, God, here I am, I want to love you and I want to trust you and I just want to obey you and and I want to live a life of praise and thanks and I, I want you to use my abilities. So I'm here today and I'm telling you, here's my life. If you're in that place and you're just saying, God, I I haven't really thought of this before, but for somehow in this moment, in this time, you've pierced my ear and you have called me and your spirit is is bringing a sense of conviction and I, I don't know it, I don't get it, I'm not sure what's going on. If that's what God is doing, just say, yes, God, here I am, I'm yours. I want my life to be one that pleases you 24-7. I want to learn what that looks like. I don't get it. I don't know what it means fully, but I want to learn. Lord Jesus, thank you. We're all a bunch of little babies. We're a bunch of little kids in your eyes.